Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Well, I got to do George first. So that way I don't forget it because once I get on track. That's the whole reason they're back tonight. Uh-huh. I can believe That's it. The whole reason. I can believe it. Who is George? We got a whole bunch of snake stories. Now, is, I got to ask this because I almost had somebody take off out the wall one day. Any of you just deathly, so deathly scared of snakes that, that you just can't handle it? I won't let him loose. Okay. We were, we just started a church there in Soroti, Uganda. And so we didn't have a, much of a building. We had a pole barn type shed. We didn't have any walls on it because they had a, a King James, or, or excuse me, a, a, a Ten Commandment cult there. And they were telling that we were going to burn people. We'd go to the burials and stuff, and the priests would get up, and they would tell them, these guys, point us out, well, these guys are here. They're going to burn you like the cult and all this. And so it was quite a deal. So we just left the walls off the church. We had bamboo on one side, but there was a path that comes in between the village and our church. And so we, we just kind of left the path, the, you know, the path or, or the, the walls open and everything. Well, it's a Wednesday night, and I'm starting to uh, wind down. I'm just about getting ready for the invitation. And my colleague, oh, excuse me, he was on that side. He jumps up, and he runs out the door. And I'm thinking, now, something's not right here. And he goes out here, and George is trying to come to church. Now, I don't know about you, preacher, but we don't let just anybody come to our church. So I went out there, and somebody sent me a video of the crocodile hunter and how that, you know, you can go and, and just kind of uh, pick him up by the tail. And, and I went over there, and, and, and I started to grab his tail. Let me tell you something. All those snakes in those videos, they're drugged. They're lying through their teeth. They are drugged, and they don't, they don't play fair. That old boy, he was a spitting cobra. He comes, he raises up, he turns around on me, and I thought, you are the dumbest missionary in the world. <laughs> and you ask my wife, if I'm lying, I'm dying. And so I put his tail down real fast. <laughs> And I backed away. Well, he starts heading for a tree. And I said, man, if he gets in that tree, we've lost him. So I do what any, any super missionary will do. I run around, got in front of him and said, hey! And he raises up again. And I thought, you, that's twice. <laughs> I held his attention long enough for one of my colleagues to get a long stick and knock him in the head, and we went over with a Leatherman and finished him off, and my daughter and I took him home and skinned him out. 
And George ended up being about seven foot, and he shrunk a little bit here now, and we cut his head and tail off and everything. But listen, God can protect you. And, and, and snakes, well, they go wherever snakes go, you know. I, you want to get this? Come get this. I'm, that way I don't forget George. He'd get mad. But we've got all kind of snake stories and things like this, how God has, has just <laughs> intervened on our behalf. But uh, some of the kids, they like those stories. Some of you ladies, you might get a little cringy, but, uh, but God takes care of you. The whole message tonight, I want, I want to get two points across to you. You're coming up with, with this, this giving, faith promise, whatever you want to call it in, in your church, okay? Pastor talked about it. He showed you, showed you the sheets, the little things you fill out and things. And, and I, I got to figuring up today. Our, our church out in, in Lancaster last year gave over a million dollars. That's several thousand people. Uh, our little church over here in Eaton, Ohio, when my son came there about nine years ago, they, they were given, I think, is about $12,000 a year. This last year, they gave, for this year, they've promised to give over $100,000. And they're a church same size as, as y'all. God can provide in ways that you have no concept, no idea. And by the way, they're already a month ahead in their giving. They're giving more, well more than 100000 this year. But secondly, if you're considering the ministry, it's work. If you're looking for an easy way out, you, you don't get into ministry. It's work. But God can take care of you. And all of this, when you, when you look at the stories of the Bible, many times as I was growing up, even as a pastor and things, and I, I read these stories and I, and, I, and I see what God's doing, and, and as much as you want to believe them, you say, well, you know, that's great, but that was back in Jesus' day. And when he was here, he could do all these things, but he said, you guys are going to do greater things than I. And I thought, how is that possible? Back in, while we were in, still in Uganda, Sherry and I were up in Soroti. We was working the Soroti area. And they'd had a famine, and... As we do, we go out to the villages and stuff preaching. That was my heart. That was my life, getting out in the villages. But Richard, one of the guys that worked with me, and he translated for me and things like this. There are 48 different languages in Uganda. So anywhere you go, even the, many of the Africans have to have translators. You know what I'm talking about, sister. So Richard was working with us, and, and his folks had really been hit hard by the, by the famine. So it was the end of the month, and, and Sherry and I, we, we got together some stuff, some sugar and some flour and, you know, different things, cassava and whatever we had and could get a hold of, and we took it out and took it out to Richard, 
And we got out here to the village, and as their custom is there, uh, they kind of set you down there by the hut, and they take off. <laughs> it shocked me uh, when I first got to Africa. And they just take off, leave you sitting there. And I think, what, what did I do, not shower or something? What? What they're doing is going out and rounding up the rest of the villagers. And they accepted our gifts and everything. That's very appreciative, but... And they go out and get all the folks, and they come in, and you're sitting under this mango tree and everything, and finally when the folks come back, and they'll change their clothes and come out there, and they'll say, okay, preacher, give us the word of God. Well, that's like sick them to a dog. So I, you know, I grab my Bible, and uh, you just fold her back, and, and you, you, you've got the, you got the word. You just start preaching. And you, you preach and preach, and almost, almost every time somebody gets saved, uh, they're, they're so open to the Word of God. And I was preaching, and I was, I was trying to get them to see the difference between a head belief and a heart belief. And so I'm going through this, and, and you know, preacher understands, some of you preachers, you know what I'm talking about, uh, you know, the light's on, nobody's home. You're just not getting through. You know, it comes to the, to the nose, and, and it's it just not getting in there. Well, that's the, I was getting these, these stares like, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, give me an illustration that, I, that will resonate with these folks that they'll understand what I'm talking about. And so he did. He he, he told me to, to, to use the illustration if somebody come running in the village saying, Coney's coming, Coney's coming. Now, by the look on your face, you don't have a clue of what I talk about. Well, when you go over there and you preach and talk about Abraham Lincoln, they don't know what you're talking about either. But their eyes got about as big as saucers. Coney is one of the rebels that comes in and they surround the high school and they go in and they usually just kill the teachers. It's kind of like the Boko Rattan up then in Nigeria. But then they'll go ahead and they'll, they'll take the kids. And we later on, we've had these kids in orphanages and working with them and stuff like this. And you, you listen to their testimonies and it just, it will chill you to the bone. And we won't even talk about, I mean, they take the boys and they, and you going to fight for us? No. Boom. You're dead. Now, you going to fight for us? Well, what are you going to say? <laughs> uh, yes. So they parade them back out in the bush where their camp is and everything, and, and, and we will not even go to as far as the, the girls, it is much worse than you can absolutely imagine. But then they come to the village and they bring these boys that evening and they line the boys up and say, you gonna, you gonna fight for us? Now, I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm in a, in a tough situation, I like to get close to somebody I know. You know, if you go into a meeting and you don't know all these people, but maybe you found somebody or have a friend, you like to stand by them, right? 
their strength in numbers. Well, they do the same thing. And they say, you're going to fight for, for us? Yes. And he hands that boy a machete and said, kill that boy next to you. It might be his real brother. It might be his cousin brother that was in the school with him. It might be his best friend. Now, if he doesn't kill him, he's dead. And then after they've had to kill their friend or whoever it is, then the witch doctors come and all the, this, that, and the other, and they eat him that night. Now, you, where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Are you going to run back to your village? Uh, where, where's Jimmy? Well, I killed him. How's that going to go? I, I, I ate Jimmy. What they're doing, they're playing mind games like they did with us in Vietnam. And, and now they have broken the ties. There's no place for these kids to run. There's no place for them to go. They're giving them anything they want, drugs, women, you name it, whatever they want, they're supplying for them. They keep them hyped up and everything, and they've got them under all these spells and things, and now they'll do anything you want. So when I said Coney's coming, they knew exactly what I was talking about. I said, if Coney, if somebody comes running in, if you believe it in your heart, you're going to book out the, that side of the village going as fast as your legs can carry you. But if you only believe it up here in your head, you're going to stop and sit down and say, okay, now how far out are they? Well, how many of them do you think they are? Well, what do you think we ought to, you're dead. You wasted too much time. And I, they begin to get the message, that the, the difference between the head and the heart, and they begin to understand what was going on. And so now as I'm preaching, I am begging these people to get saved. Not one person in that village would stand up and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. We finally... Packed it all in. We we greeted them. We was kind to them. We, you know, we prayed for them. We loved them. We, uh, some of them was Richard's family members and everything. So, uh, we pack up and we go back to town. About two o'clock in the morning, my wife and I are just shaking out of bed. A tank round went off just right behind our house. Automatic gunfire going off. Everything. I mean, war broke out. We had no idea Coney was even in the area. And Coney hit our town. And all, I mean, all through the night, it's, it's nothing but gunfire. Well, I told her, I said, I know, the, I know the, the rebels. I said, put on every stitch of clothes you can get on. And we went and sat in the living room, and we're listening to the bullets going here and there. And what else are you going to do? You can't run because either the military will think that you're, the, you're one of the rebels, or the rebels will think you're the military, so you just sit there. You want to learn how to pray? <laughs> Go to the mission field. 
after a while, we, we were so, I don't know, stressed out. <laughs> uh, and, and we just went in the bedroom and laid down on the bed and just stared at the ceiling. And we must have started to fall asleep a little bit, but all of a sudden the telephone rang. I'd forgotten that Dr. Chapel at Lancaster Baptist Church, their church was having a mission conference, and they had set it up to where they would call us from the service, you know how they do, and they'll talk to the missionary right there. Well, the phone rang, and, and boy, I mean, just, we was nervial anyhow, and how you doing, Brother Brian? <laughs> I didn't tell him we're doing okay. And just happened the director of our mission, Dr. Sisk, at that time he, he was there and he recognized what was going on, come up and they did some counseling one-on-one -on -one right there in the service and prayed and, and, and we prayed and they said, I mean, I was, I was trying to be on the phone call, and we've been listening to this for hours, but they said they could hear the, the gunshots and all this going through, through the phone and everything. It changed their mission conference. We finally got to sleep, and I think things died down a, a little bit. I don't know, but uh, when things kind of cooled down, got up and got in the vehicle, Richard and I, and we start driving around. We drove out one side of town, and there are thousands of people. We couldn't hardly maneuver on the road. There were so many, just with, with what they had on their back. There are people from the village laying there dead. They couldn't even, couldn't even bury them, put nothing over them, nothing. They was running for their life. And thousands of these people are coming into town. And I thought, I wonder what's, what's happened down by the church. So we got her turned around, and we went on the other side of the town, and we drove up to the church. And here's about 1,500 people sitting on the front door of our church with just dead stares, just totally shaken. Can you help us? Can you help us? Now, I don't know about your Bible college, brother, but they didn't cover that in my Bible college. They do now at West Coast. What do you do when 1,500 people show up for supper? I, I didn't know what to do. We had an envelope system. When you're dealing in foreign countries that... The, the funny money, it's not like American money. So you put it in envelopes, and this goes to the electric, and this goes to the gas, and this goes to the rent, and this goes to all this, and you have all these envelopes. Uh, we went home, and, and anything, it was in the month, and all, we'd already taken the food and everything, what we had out to Richard's folks. And we cleaned out everything we had, and I went down to the, to the duca there, the, the little store, and we was able to get a half a sack of beans or a half a sack of posho. It's corn flour, basically all it is. And they, they boil water and they mix it in there and, and sometimes they'll make it thin for, a, for a porridge in the morning. It's good stuff. I like it. My wife hates it. But then they eat that a couple times a day and, and for 1,500 people and you've got a, 
about 100 pounds of posho. And I'll be honest with you, I, as a missionary, I cowered it out. I took it out to my men, and I said, fellas, give it out as far as it goes, because I, 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 I knew I'd get to the place very shortly to where I didn't have anything to give, and you still got another thousand or so people there. So I said, get, give it to them as far as it'll go. And I, I started home. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I was here. You have all these people. And now we're taking care of 1,500 refugees. And as I was driving, I remembered this Bible story in Matthew chapter 14. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew chapter 14. The Bible says in, in verse number 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart, and when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. We, we don't have compassion in our churches. We have emotion. When you see things on the TV, it disturbs you for about two minutes. And then life goes right back the way it was. Compassion, on the other hand, when you have compassion, it forces you to do something. It forces you to act. Compassion, you can't sit there. Yes, if you just have empathy, you can feel sorry for somebody and not get involved. But when you've got compassion, that's why it says Jesus looked on them and he said he had compassion on them and he did something about the problem. We can say we need more churches around Ohio and we can feel sorry, boy, that there's not more churches. But if we have compassion, it will force us into action. That compassion will move us to get involved somehow. And so we, we were going to try to do what, whatever, everything we could. And I contacted some of our missionaries in the area. And they said exactly what they said in verse 15. He says, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. That's what the missionaries told me to do. I could not do it. I could not bring myself to do it. Where are they going to go? And all the time, my mind is coming back to these, these passages here. And, and notice it says in verse 16, But Jesus said to them, uh, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And that's why we, we took everything we had in the envelopes and we gave them everything we had. But I thought to myself, like he says in John chapter 6, What is this? among so many. So in verse number 19, 
or excuse me, verse number 17, it says, And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down where? You see the difference in perspective? This is a lot of the problem. We, they said, oh, this is desert, this is desert, this is desert. I've lived in the desert. My wife is from the desert. And they ain't a lot of grass out there, is there, brother? Jesus said, have them sit down on the grass. It's your perspective. They thought, oh, it's just a horrible place. It's just a desert place and all of this. But when Jesus gets a hold of something, he looks at it a whole lot different. We need to start thinking about things the way Jesus does instead of from our fleshly viewpoint. When you start looking at those maps, don't think, good night, there's so many empty spaces. No. Let God speak to your heart and get some compassion and get involved and say, there's not a dot right there now, but there's going to be, and I'm going to help put it there. Oh, yes, they're, they're hard-nosed. Well, so was I, the guy that's my best friend now. He tried to tell me about Jesus. I kicked him out of the house. Listen. Just because they don't respond the first time or the second time or the third time, you keep going back. You keep praying for them. And God is going to do something. He said, you give them to eat. And he said, we, we have but five loaves and two fish. Now, I started home after I dropped off the post show. And on the way home, I get a phone call. It's a church in California. It wasn't Lancaster. It was a different church in California. And this church says, uh, Brother Stensis, how you doing? I said, well, you know, okay. He said, well, you know, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago, and we were just praying for you, and we thought maybe you might have a need. Do you have a need, brother? Well, at the moment, I sure do. He said, well, we've already sent this money to the mission. It'll be, it, it's in your bank account already. So, you know, just whatever you want to do. I turned around. I went back down to that duca. I went back down to that store, and we got a couple sacks of posho and a big old 200 pounds of beans, and we went out there, and we start distributing that. I said, well, it's looking a little better, but... You still got 1,500 people. How many times you eat a day? I got home that night, and I get an email. An email from a church in Missouri. They said, you know, a couple weeks ago, preacher, we were, we were just having a prayer meeting at church and talking about missions and and boy, we just loved you. We wanted you to know how much we loved you, so we've taken up an offering and we sent it to the mission already. It should be in your bank account. Guess where I went the next morning? I went back down to the Duca. And we bought some more posho and some more beans and some rice. Now listen to me. Jesus on that day fed 5,000 men Let's kick in another 5,000 because most 
most folks don't go a long ways without their woman. And then you throw in another 5,000 for some kids. 15,000 meals he fed on that day. Now, you listen to me. You may, God may be speaking to your heart, and you may say, well, you know, I need to surrender my life to mission, but I don't know how, how God can take care of me. How can he provide if I go to Bible college? How can he provide if I, it, to get to the mission field? How can he sustain me there and everything? Watch this. Two weeks before it ever happened, God knew. Already sent it in. The embassy, when we called the embassy, they had no idea what was going on. They said, we can't help you. We were informing the embassy of what was going on. But God already knew. And the very day of the insurrection, God started providing. For three months, we never solicited support. We never sent prayer letters saying, send us money, send us money. For three months, God supplied and fed 1,500 people at that church. You know how many meals that is? 250,000 meals. Now, God began to show us and teach us that he can supply. He blessed. He broke. He, he laid it on their hearts to give before it ever happened. And people, all the churches and individuals and things were happening and people were given, supplying the need. And we had no idea who a lot of these folks were. But God did. God can provide for you. Now, here you have all these people sleeping in the church. And Coney and these guys come back down that same path right by the church. Come down one night and they're shooting and, and burning and, and, and looting and they're burning all the houses, the village right there next to the, to the church, kitchen judgy. It, man, we ministered to these people and they come down that road and they're burning every one of the houses, and we got 1,500 people laying in here like cordwood in the church. If some old man starts snoring like I do, or some baby starts crying, you will have a bloodbath like you cannot imagine. Not one time did they turn towards our church went all the way along that entire road on the other side, burning everything, never touched our church, our property, anything. The military comes and says, hey, it's too dangerous here. We, we, can't, we can't take care of these people. You've got to get them out of here. So they brought trucks, and they loaded them up and took them to another camp. From that very day, we never received another shilling, not another dime. God knew weeks before what was going to happen, had it in place to start doing what needed to be done, and for three months he provided the, for the people 
everything that they needed. We were supplying medical. We were supplying everything. I mean, wash basins and, and, and soap and all kinds of stuff. But on the day that they left, God shut off a tap. He knows the beginning. He knows the ending. Listen, God can take care of you on the mission field. God can take care of you to supply your need to get you through Bible college, to get you whatever is necessary for his ministry. When it comes time to fill out that card, God may be using you to fulfill his will in missionaries' life somewhere around this world that you have no idea what's going what's gonna to come up. You can't see it. I can't see it yet. But God knows it's going to happen. We, in our church, the, what we've, all the missionaries that we support, that money goes out every, every bit of it. But then when we have a little excess... We'll just write out a check and send it to this missionary's got a project or this missionary's got a project or just to show you what why? Because we've been there. And God is going to use us to do his work over there. Mo no, I don't think any of those folks had ever been to Uganda. But God used them to fulfill his will. When you start filling out that, that form, that little, little card, you just think of what you may be doing. As we would preach to many of those people day after day all the whole time that they were there, we had many of those refugees saved. Still, Richard, our, the guy that worked with us, his family was hit. And before we could get out there and start getting food, he, his, his sister and her husband and her 12-year-old boy and their little baby, about three months old, whatever it was, they, they was going to try to sneak back out to the village to get some food, to find some food. And they caught him. And they killed their husband. And they killed the 12-year-old boy and beat her just absolutely senseless. They thought she was dead. And then they beat that three-month-old three baby just and just threw him in the bush. And she came to the middle of the night, and she finally drug herself around and finally found her baby and picked that baby up and, and took, her back, uh, took her back. She found a military guy, and they ended up bringing her back to the, to the church there. We took the baby to the hospital and took care of it there until the baby died and the mother died. The UN was there. They come rolling in with a whole couple semis full of grain and would not give it to anybody because they had to negotiate to get it ground. One of the guys in our church that has a grinder. I mean, that's what his, he makes his living at. He said, I'll do it for free. They said, nope. We're going to get bids. We're going to do this our way. 
and for weeks it sat there. These people don't have weeks. God knows when we need things, and if we will obey God, if we'll give, God is going to meet needs in these different missionaries' lives and in their ministries that you have no concept of what is even going to happen later on. We had no idea that was going on. But God did. And God can provide for us right here. I mean, if the doctor says, hey, you've got cancer, God knows that. He knew it before the doctor did. Nothing surprises God. God can heal. God can take care of us. Sometimes God chooses not to because he knows later on down the road it's going to be worse for us than if it had healed us. We have to learn to trust God. And if you can learn that God will provide for you and has provided for you, but God is going to use you in this mission program, in this church, to supply the need to do absolute miraculous things on mission fields all around the world that right now, today, there's nothing going on. But by the time you give and by the time it gets to the mission and by the time it gets to the missionary, God's timing is perfect. And God will use you. Can you imagine that little boy? <laughs> He's got a few fish and, uh, and a few pieces of pita bread. <laughs> He gave it all. He didn't give him two fish and one pita bread. He gave it all. I wonder, one day I'm going to find out, but I wonder how God rewarded that little boy for giving his lunch. I think he blessed him possibly beyond measure. I know when God said, I want you to go to the mission field, I was scared to death. I hadn't hardly ever been out of Kansas, and yet now here we're going to the mission field. I was scared. And at the beginning, we didn't seem like we had much. We didn't know what to do and how to do all this, but we have never missed a meal. You can probably tell that. God has provided, we have given, we give two, two and sometimes three times our tithe just, just to missions. Almost everything we've had, we've given back to missions, helping people, and God has blessed us. You cannot outgive God. So what the whole thing, the whole purpose, I want you to pick up those oars, and I want you to start rowing. Start telling people about Jesus here. But at the same time, understand if God speaks to your heart and calls you to, to the ministry to preach, to, to do something, 
Understand, God can take care of you. He can provide for your every need. He may not provide you that Mercedes-Benz that you want, but he can sure give you a Toyota, amen? Or even a Ford, but you have to take parts with you then. (laughs) And God can take care of you on the mission field. Things like George, we laugh about him. We wouldn't laugh in then. There's other stories we can tell you that, that, that just, oh, you can't imagine. I wouldn't trade one of those experiences. As I look on this desk of the commandant, and he has a piece of paper, and on, my, on that paper it says, Brian Stensis goes to Luzira prison for 20 years. Or something I did not do. The embassy says we can't do anything. The mission board says we can't do anything. That's a whole different message. But God intervened in the most miraculous way. God can take care of you. God can provide for you. God wants to use you for his glory. Amen? May we pray tonight. Father, Lord, we say I know that we can trust you. You can take care of us. But do we trust you enough to surrender our life to you? Do we trust you enough to put our life in your hands? Do we trust you enough to tithe and give to missions even in a sacrificial manner? Do we trust you enough for our daily life? We say we've trusted you with our soul, but yet that's only one small part. God, help us as we read these passages of Scripture to realize that you are the same God that, that Paul served, the same God that Elijah served and Moses. And as you did those things in their lives, that you are doing things the same way in, the, in our lives, And God, you want to do so much more that we might reach this world for Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would would just help us to have an open heart that we might see those people that are lost and they will go to hell if they do not know Jesus Christ. And the only way that they're going to hear about Jesus Christ is if we go and we pray and we give. Father, have your way in this invitation in our heart. Help us to pick up those oars and truly begin to row towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.